This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by Decisions in Dentistry and the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone. And welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. I'm Art Wiederman. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I'm a dental-specific CPA located in Southern California. I'm also a proud member of the Academy of Dental CPAs, which is 24 CPA firms across the United States that represent over 9,000 dentists. And today I have a treat. I actually have an in-studio guest um, which, which is great because we don't have to worry about the internet. <laughs> we use Zoom to record our, um, podcast. And today I don't have to worry about that. It's just, uh, my guest and I. My guest today is, um, uh, Jay Sean Dum. Uh, Sean is a, uh, a great dental specific attorney located here in Orange County. And our topic today is, Ways dentists end up in court. Now, we're not going to teach you how to end up in court. We don't want you to end up in court. We want you to avoid ending up in court. And we're going to be talking about subjects like um, employment agreements and leases and, um, uh, you know, what, you know, patient documentation. So we got a lot of great information uh, that with Sean here in studio. And I think you'll, you should be taking notes for this topic because, uh, I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I have been an expert witness in probably 10 to 15 cases in my career, and um, litigation is not fun, and Sean will talk a little bit about that too. But um, first, I want to give you some information. Um, we have this wonderful, wonderful new partnership with Decisions in Dentistry uh, magazine. Uh, Decisions in Dentistry is a uh, clinical publication, the finest clinical publication in America, as far as I'm concerned, uh, goes out to uh, and touches about 80,000 dentists. Uh, if you do not scri- subscribe to Decisions, uh, you should. Uh, they've got a lot to offer you. They've got great content, great continuing education courses. Uh, and we're now partners uh, with Decisions in the podcast. So what you want to do is go to their website, www.decisionsanddentistry.com. Um, you can go to the About tab on their website, and you can subscribe. And you can also go to the Podcast tab, uh, and you can link to us, you, uh, our CPA firm, HMWC. You can link to the Academy of Dental CPAs. Uh, and if you put a little information down, we've got some great articles that we're going to be rotating uh, in and out. So if you want to get a hold of me, uh, my office number is 714-505-9000 in Tustin, California, in Orange County. Uh, if you want to email me, uh, email me an idea for a show, email me an idea um, for a guest. I mean, some of my, some of our listeners have, have said, why don't you interview this person? And there are so many fabulous, fabulous people in dentistry that you're going to be meeting that you've already met on our podcast. Uh, send me an email at artweederman at gmail.com. Uh, go on to our website, which is www.hmwccpas.com, uh, hmwccpa.com. Uh, go to the resources tab, go to the website, uh, go to the podcast link, and all the podcasts will be there as they will be on the Decisions in Dentistry's website. Uh, and again, decisionsanddentistry.com, and you can go to the podcast link. And if you are looking for a dental-specific CPA anywhere in the United States, we got you covered. Uh, pretty much every geographic area in the United States is covered by one of our members. 24 amazing dental CPA firms, uh, you know, best, best in breed, best in show, top of the class, um, uh, I don't know. They they just did an episode, uh, a series of Jeopardy called The Goat, Greatest of All Time. Uh, okay, they're the greatest of all time. I get to say it because it's my podcast. But um, go to our website at www.adcpa.org. Find the member in your area, and you will not be sorry. So let's get to our uh, our topic and our guest today. Uh, I've known Sean Dumb for uh, 20 years. Sean is, uh, and again, ladies and gentlemen, I only work with the best. I work with ethical, professional people 
who have nothing but my client's best interests at heart. And uh, Sean checks off all those boxes. Uh, Sean's been, like I said, an attorney for 20 years. He, his CPA, his CPA practice. I'll be all right. I hope Sean isn't starting a CPA practice. Not at all. He says not at all. Um, Sean, uh, has a, a dental, a, a dental specific, uh, law practice, uh, here in Orange County. Sean went to the University of Iowa, um, lost, uh, went for his undergrad at University of Iowa, went to Washburn Law School in, uh, Kansas City. Uh, Topeka, Kansas. In Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> And he's been an attorney for about 20 years and works specifically about 90% of his practices with dentists. And so anyway, Sean Dumb, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. Boy, I, I really like the name. I like the new name. I'm getting used to it. Welcome, Sean. Thank you for having me, Art. Uh, I've listened to podcasts every single day, and this is exciting because I get to be on one. Well, we'll we'll make it exciting. I, I don't tell jokes because... Um, uh, <laughs> Some people think I'm funny, but most, uh, they say that's still up in the air. So anyway, Sean, why don't we start off, uh, tell us a little bit about your, uh, uh, your career path, your career journey, and uh, give us a little bit of information about yourself. Uh, certainly. So I've been practicing law for about 20 years, but initially when I got out of law school, I thought I would be the great American trial attorney, go out, win big cases, um, uh, and uh, litigate disputes. And I did that for a while when I first got out of school, um, first chaired trials, jury trials and bench trials in front of judges. And and I, I just found myself always kind of disillusioned by the fact that even when you win, you have an unhappy client to an extent because they have expenses or they got ex- they got sued and they were feeling wronged in some fashion. And it led me towards uh, transactional work and working um, in more of a collaborative manner. And one of the things that drew me to dentists um, in, in dentistry is because these are learned professionals that are well-educated, certainly understand the concept of informed consent. And also, um, I got an immense job satisfaction from allowing them to achieve uh, certain life goals, whether it be crossing the finish line of retirement for somebody that's hurting and just uh, needs to wrap up their practice or for the young dentist who's fresh out of school and is driving all over the place, picking up a day here, a day there, finally getting them into a more stable opportunity with a better income uh, earning opportunity. So it's just been really, really satisfying to me to find my way into a healthcare focused practice and representation of dentists. Yeah. And, and, and again, as a CPA and a broker, you know, I work very closely with attorneys and, um, I, I can't tell you, Sean, how many times I get, uh, uh people call me. So, so I, I want to pay my, uh, I want to pay my employee this or I want to do this or, um, and, and I just go, you know, I, I stop and say, and, and this is, you know, all of our ADCPA members know this. Um, I don't give legal advice. I'm not a licensed attorney. Well, but, and I get, but, but Art, you know this. And I go, yeah, I know this, and bad things will happen to me uh, if I start giving you legal advice. So that's why we work with people like Sean. Now, Sean, um, you had a very interesting experience. I hear you got to go to a football game uh, recently. Why don't you tell us about what happened? Well, yes, I did. Uh, as you may have guessed from uh, my background, I'm from the Midwest. I'm originally from the Kansas uh, area. I grew up in Kansas City. Uh, and I was a season ticket holder for the Chiefs uh, for many years before we moved out to Southern California. And so yeah, the Chiefs, after, well, the first time in my lifetime, make it to the Super Bowl. And uh, I felt the call to go and, and, and be down in Miami for the Super Bowl. So I bought my plane ticket and I, I, I got a hotel room and I was watching the online ticket prices and then the ticket prices were just sky high, you know, $7,000 to get into the nosebleed seats, seats that you would need like a Sherpa to get to. And, um, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here watching the ticket prices. It's not getting any lower. I really want to go to the Super Bowl, but also I want to stay married. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to buy a, <laughs> a ticket that's going to cause a marital discourse. So, uh, as a result, I, I, I went down there. I took a red eye down to, to Miami. I, I went to a target. I bought uh, sign making materials. I made my, I need one ticket sign. I stood outside the stadium and I, I, I waited out there for about three hours until a very nice lady came along and sold me 
me a ticket, fortunately, for face value, which is uh, unheard of at the Super Bowl. And it was just a wonderful experience. So, so let me see if I understand this. And, and I'm telling my listeners that this guy is like really smart, right? So you, so you got on an airplane. You flew 3,000 miles from Orange County to Miami without a ticket, with the hope that you would find a ticket. And you did. And I know you and I were texting through the, the weekend. I go, Sean, did you, did you find, well, I'm still checking the prices and stuff like that. But what was it like to be at a Super Bowl, especially for your lifelong hometown team? And especially considering, and no offense to 49er fans, especially considering that they won the Super Bowl. Well, it was wonderful. And, and, you know, you make a good point. I'm here to talk about ways that we can be measured and rational about our decision making. And, and you just pointed out that it was somewhat of a optimistic view. And it's funny. I, I tend to be very pragmatic about things, but when it comes to sporting, uh, sporting teams, you know, you have that keep home alive. There's always next season. Someday it'll finally happen. And it never did my entire life. And so I just went for it. And so it was, it was an amazing experience. And I, I would be lying if I said I didn't shed a couple of tears when it was all over. Well, there is no, I've been to one Super Bowl. I went in 2001, I think it was, when the Ravens played the Giants. Um, Britney Spears was the halftime entertainment. And, uh, it was really fun. I mean, there's, I, I, I actually got to kick a field goal and I just missed a 40 yard field goal in the NFL experience. It was really fun. So we could talk football all day long, but that's not what we're here to talk about. So what we're ta- here to talk about is, how dentists end up in court, in disputes, in litigation, um, and, and, and how we can prevent that. So uh, I've got a laundry list here. We're not going to get through all of them, but we've got some that Sean and I have identified. So I'm going to start off with the first one, Sean. So this has to do with kind of associate agreements. So the first question is, where do I sign? I need a job. So talk about how these agreements can possibly end up in, in problems. Well, yes. For every young dentist getting out of school, you've got a mountain of student loans, most likely. You've been working for years and studying, and and you just want to get out and start earning and making some money. And so you're looking for an opportunity, and particularly in populous areas, it might be challenging to find an opportunity. So sometimes people will dive right in and sign the first contract that's put in front of them. And there are challenges with doing that. Obviously, um, if the agreement isn't very clear, it could be very one-sided and employer-friendly, employer, uh, which is to be expected. But there are things you need to watch out for. And one big thing, of course, is the compensation terms. Uh, you know, It's very important to make sure that it's clearly expressed how I get paid and when I get paid so that there are are not um, you know animosities created between yourself and, and the the practice over uh, your compensation so expectations are promoted and then also uh, one thing that in many states you need to watch out for is non-competition provisions uh, non-compete language is enforceable in many states um, and if it is in the document it is the kind of thing that could potentially put a young dentist out of practicing in a certain metropolitan area or even a wider geographic scope for years uh, and so that might be uh, very adverse uh, to your interest. And so it's worth it to have somebody review those documents to make sure that the first thing you do when you get out of dental school isn't to uh, step in it, so to speak. And, and, and the theme of today's podcast is going to be over and over again. Never, ever, ever, whether you're a dentist or a consultant or an accountant or, or, or whatever you are or do, Never, ever sign a legal document without having a licensed attorney review it. I mean, I, I can't, but, but wait a minute. The, it, it costs money to do that. Yes, it does. It costs money to go to the dentist. It costs money to get your taxes done. It costs money to do everything. But I, I will tell you that I, I have seen people sign documents and they just go, did you not read it? Well, well, he said it was a form document, right? Right, Sean, if it's a form document, it's no big deal, which we're going to get into our next uh, conversation uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, associate agreements like in California, Sean, um, covenants not to compete, 
are generally not enforceable, right? Yeah, that would be correct. In California, uh, covenants not to compete would be not enforceable, but you could have enforceable provisions relating to uh, uh, intellectual property, trade secrets. Also, there could be language in there involving how much notice you have to give before you leave and even financial penalties for failure to give a proper notice, which can make it challenging to accept a business opportunity to purchase a practice to go somewhere else without uh, having issues as well. Yeah, so that that's why it's really important um, to make sure that uh, you just don't sign that first associate contract. And uh, you know, if, if the seller, if the the senior doctor says, "Well, um, you know, this is the way it is," uh, that might tell you about what it's going to be like to work for that senior doctor if they're not willing to maybe take this provision or that provision out of the contract. All right, let's go to the next one. It's just a standard lease form, right? I mean, it's, it's standard. It's, it's, they're all the same, right, Sean? Absolutely. Yeah. One size fits all for leases, right? Uh, this is a line that you hear all the time from landlords, uh, and even from sometimes sellers. If a buyer's looking at a practice, oh, it was a standard form lease. I signed it. It was a form. It's a form everybody uses. Well, most of those form leases are prepared by, um, real estate associations, associations of brokers, and they tend to be landlord friendly. And even the ones that tend to be more facially neutral are still landlord friendly. And, uh, and then of course the custom drafted leases that you would encounter would be even more landlord friendly in many instances and can have a lot of little, uh, hidden, uh, tricks in them, uh, little things that can create additional financial obligations that, that are, uh, go above and beyond the mere cost of the base rent that you expected that you would be paying. Okay. So l- let's talk a little bit as far as leases go is where do you see the litigation happen? In other words, uh, uh, you know, the dentist signs the lease in good faith. He or she wants to practice in that office, make a living, do what they do. Where do you see the problems come up between landlords and tenants? A a lot of it tends to come from things that are in the lease that you did not realize were in the lease. So, for example, uh, there can be provisions that allow the landlord to terminate the lease uh, and take back the space. And if you're in an area where uh, rents tend to go up pretty consistently year in and year out, it may be advantageous for the landlord to terminate your lease for some reason under the lease as a means to take back the space. Uh, a, a big area, of course, of dispute is maintenance obligations, uh, obligations between the parties. Uh, a lot of the lease will have language in it that shifts those burdens back to the tenant. And you need to know what type of lease you have and what kind of burdens are being created under the lease. Um, it, w- when I'm reviewing these things specific to dentists, uh, I'm looking at what kind of financial obligations are being created under this lease document. Uh, what kind of, uh, are there termination provisions that could be costly for my client in the event that I wanted to sell this practice and assign this lease to a third party? Are there going to be, um, is there going to be language in this lease that's going to be, uh, difficult for me to accomplish my goal? For example, some leases will have language that says, if you want to assign your lease to somebody else, the landlord can step back in and recapture the space and negotiate directly with the tenant, which means the landlord can then raise the rents from what might be a current rent rate that would be favorable to a uh, extravagantly high rent rate, or they could charge a extremely high assignment fee if that wasn't clearly defined. And all of these things can end up uh, becoming areas of big disputes. Uh, one other area I see is uh, relocation clauses. Sometimes if you're in a, a, a hot space and maybe Starbucks wants to move in and you've got the corner spot in the shopping mall and they want to re- they can relocate you to the backside, which is fine uh, in concept. But the problem is with dental practices, it's very expensive to build these out. You can spend hundreds of do- thousands of dollars to build out your space, to plummet out only to be moved to another space. And if your lease isn't worded properly, uh, you could be on your own for incurring the cost to do that again. And it doesn't mean you'll get to break the lease as a result. You're along for the ride in this new space incurring significant cost. So you have to watch for these things. Yeah, and then there's little things, and again, we see this as brokers all the time It's selling dental practices. For example, the options. Okay, well, you have an option. Uh, you have a year left on your lease, and then you have five uh, a five-year option. 
But there's a little clause in there, Sean, that says that the option is personal to you, which means that if you want to go to assign your lease to a buyer of a dental practice, the landlord can say, no, 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 only you can renew that option. Only you can exercise, which then means you have one year left on your lease which means that the landlord has got you. Am, am I, uh, now I'm, <laughs> I, I am not an attorney. I don't play one on TV, TV and I don't practice law, but am I, am I kind of close? Oh, you're very close. And, and obviously you have background as a broker and you've experienced this a lot that one of the biggest areas of chaos in terms of getting a transition completed from a buyer to a seller is the landlord in the terms of the lease. And obviously, it would be advantageous for us to have a long period of control to be able to assign this option to another buyer. But sometimes those options are held personal to the tenant and non-assignable. I had a doctor. Oh, God, this was probably 10 years ago. I might have told this story on a previous podcast. So this is a, a doctor who came to me, gosh, 20 years ago, Sean, came to me and he was starting a practice in a town that he was a town of 50,000 people and he was going to be like the first or second dentist. I mean, talk about ideal. He was getting 100, 150 new patients a month. It was ridiculous. And, and I said to him, did you have the lease reviewed by an attorney? No, it was a standard lease. So about 20 years later, this doctor called me up and said, Art, I need you to sell my practice because we're moving to the Midwest and I got to get the kids, I think it was February or March, I got to get the kids in school by after Labor Day. That's when school starts. So we did this and then we started dealing with the landlord. And there were, I remember, um, uh, there were like 90 provisions in the lease that the attorney wanted. Uh, Sean was not involved in this deal, but the attorney wanted and the, 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 the landlord, I mean, laughed at them and basically said, Oh, by the way, uh, if you want to transfer this lease to a buyer, it'll cost you $100,000. We negotiated that down to 50. I delivered the check and I looked at the guy and I said, uh, you people are evil. And he just smiled at me. Have you heard stories like that? Absolutely. And you know, a, um, a companion to that is the guarantee. You know, a lot of leases will require, uh, even if you're leasing under the name of your corporation, or if you're one of those states that allows you to have a professional LLC um, or your partnership, uh, even if it's under the name of an entity, they'll require a personal guarantee of the dentist. And so when you're assigning that lease to a buyer in the future, maybe 20 years down the road, you're sitting there uh, facing the prospect of having to guarantee the lease maybe for the remainder of the existing lease term, or possibly even the option terms that would be assignable as well. Uh, yesterday, I was dealing with this very issue. It comes up all the time. I had a, uh, a, uh, a client that recently renewed his lease and then found himself in a sales situation a few months after he renewed the lease and faced with the prospect of being on the lease for the next four and a half years. Uh, even though he would be retiring and moving out of state, uh, always just hoping that the uh, buyer uh, flourishes in the practice and doesn't get uh, become disabled or die or create some sort of obligation where he'll be there as a financial guarantor of that. And so uh, that becomes an area of intense negotiation at the time of sale. And, you know, it, it's not like doctors, you, you, you say to your train, well, wait a minute, that's not what they told me. When you go into, let's talk about, Sean, when we go into court or we go into a deposition or we go into a mediation or something like that. I mean, these are legally binding contracts. They have language that have meaning under the law. It doesn't matter, doctor, that you're a nice man or a nice woman and you had all the good intentions. I mean, how do these, these, you know, these leases, do they, they hold up in court, right, Sean? Oh, absolutely. And there is the factor that this is not a residential lease where the residential tenant would have more protections. This is a commercial lease. It's uh, deemed to be between two uh, parties which are viewed by the court as being equally sophisticated and having uh, similar levels of bargaining power, even though there's often a disparity between the landlord's uh, sophistication and that of a, 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 a small sole proprietor dentist or small corporation. So the the bottom line, we we got a lot of different topics we want to hit here, and um, we'll let Sean give out his contact information because I would strongly encourage you, if you have questions about anything that's coming up legally in your life, give him a call, and he will be happy to talk to you. 
Uh, but the, the bottom line is hire a competent dental specific attorney to deal with any legal documents. I mean, I don't care how minor the legal document is. And yeah, I don't care if you're going to pay fees for it because it's going to cost you a lot more if you don't. We all make choices in this life. And I have lived my life, my professional life for 35 years as a CPA, 33 as a business owner, um, to, uh, you, you know, uh, being conservative and you stay out of court, uh, that way. All right. Let's do one more and then I'll let you give your contact information out, Sean. Let's talk about the handshake deal. Two buddies from dental school are going to go into a practice together. Oh man, we've been friends. We went out. You know, we went out uh, having a good time in dental school, and we're, yeah, we don't need an agreement, right, Sean, or not? Oh, yeah. What could go wrong, right? Uh, you know, we, we always got along. We always saw eye to eye. Um, but uh, there's a big difference between uh, having a cordial friendship relationship and entering into a business relationship, uh, whether it be a partnership or whether it be just a buyer and a seller, maybe two dentists in the community that find each other and, and want to do the document just kind of on, you know, oral terms or handshake terms. I mean, one of the problems that we run into uh, frequently is that two people might go out do a startup type situation without any defined documents as to how we're going to manage affairs, how we're going to pay ourselves, what we're going to do if we don't agree about things, uh, and, you know, how we're going to uh, deal with just very much day-to-day aspects of dental, dental management. And one of the things that uh, you and I ran into about mm, maybe a decade ago was uh, two uh, family members went out and started their own um, dental practice um, without much of a business plan, just a startup, if you will, and opened the doors and were surprised to know that no patients were there uh, in, in you know, more of a competitive marketplace. And uh, the problem with that is not only did you incur great expense in, in building out and starting up this dental practice, but then when the revenues aren't there to support it, then things can get, you know, very, there could be a lot of animosity. There can be a lot of disputes that occur. And without any written documents governing how the relationship should be formed, there's really only one way to sort it out, which is to go to court and, and to try to dissolve what, by default is a partnership. And so uh, properly defined documents expressing people's obligations and also having, um, you know, provisions for how we might resolve disputes that might arise uh, are just essential in terms of entering into any business relationship, which would be a partnership or just even in a buy sell between a buyer and a seller dentist. And one of the things, ladies and gentlemen, that I have learned uh, and I tell this to people who are buying and selling dental practices and people are going to go into partnership. When you're negotiating a partnership with somebody, whether it's somebody you don't know or it's somebody that you, you know, were classmates with friends since you were four years old, um, you find out a lot, Sean, about people when you start negotiating the deal. I mean, if they're going to nitpick every single word in that contract, what are they going to be like to practice with, Right. Yeah, I think people reveal their personalities a little bit in the process. Another thing about, you know, just working on oral agreements and handshakes is that you need to also be doing your due diligence about what business opportunity you're getting yourself into um, as well. Okay, so let's take a break here for a second, Sean. I'd like you to give out your contact information. Again, ladies and gentlemen, I work with the best people. Everybody that comes onto this podcast are outstanding, excellent people that I have no problem, uh, you know, having my clients call and, uh, and that goes with, you know, without saying. So, uh, if you have a, any kind of a legal question for, uh, Sean, uh, Sean, why don't you go ahead and give out your contact information? What's the best way for uh, our listeners to get a hold of you? Well, thank you for the kind words. First of all, our, my phone number, uh, is 888. 888- Two one two three eight six six. The last four digits uh, spell out my unfortunate last name, which is dumb. D u m m. So eight 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 two one two three eight six six. Or you could go to my website, which is J as in Joseph, S as in Sean, D as in dumb, and then lawoffice.com, jsdlawoffice.com. Well, I, I don't, considering that I have a name that was spelled wrong by the state of New York when I was born, uh, you know, the, the name doesn't matter. 
um, whatsoever. Sean is outstanding in, in what he does. Um, we've had deals where uh, buyers, other attorneys, brokers have been ye- literally yelling and screaming and doing things. And Sean is just very, very calm uh, in, in what he does. So I would encourage you to go ahead and give him a call. All right. So here's our next thing. Ways Dennis end up in court. So, you know, we don't need a lawyer. Let's just go on to the internet and find that there's documents on the internet. We can do this on an, on the internet without attorneys, right, Sean? Oh, yeah, sure. You, you absolutely can do that. It's just, will it work is the question. And uh, this is something that I, I see somewhat frequently. Somebody goes online, they find a document that somebody used when they bought a tr- uh, practice. And, you know, it may or may not fit their needs. One of the the things I hear all the time is that, you know, I, I can't make heads or tails of this language. Or I'm not really sure what this means. It's like reading a foreign language to which I say, well, th- oh, thank you. You know, that's why we went to law school. You know, I, the same reason I couldn't practice dentistry. Uh, you, you know, you have specialized training and skills. And so one of the things that you have to be wary of are not only, you know, documents you source on the internet and maybe cut and paste this and that, um, not accomplishing what you want them, want them to do or creating obligations that might be different than the oral understanding you had with the other party. Another thing that I see somewhat frequently, particularly with, um, you know, partnership agreements or, um, or the legal zoom type documents, uh, that are intended to be legally enforceable and binding, which is absolutely true. But the drawback is they are also usually very bare bones and nonspecific because they're intended to be one size fits all. And so one of the things that I, as I mentioned previously, is that a legal zoom type document may not contain representations and warranties on a, on a sale agreement or indemnifications that we would normally rely upon or in a partnership agreement may be missing the all important dispute resolution uh, provisions uh, just because it, it, it's intended to be generally broad so it can be applicable to everything and not specific to a particular situation. And this is where so many dentists find themselves in areas of conflict and dispute. Let's talk, Sean, just about agreements in general, because obviously we want people to not go to court and to not end up in litigation. So if if a relationship is looking like it's going downhill, maybe talk a little bit about what we do. But talk about the provisions that you put in documents. It could be a lease. It could be a partnership agreement. It could be an associate agreement, independent contractor agreement. It could be a purchase and sales agreement. Talk about the protections that we put in that says, okay, we know this is real life. This has got a chance maybe to go to have some problems. And and how do we try and prevent that? What can we do in the documents before the problem happens? Well, one of the biggest things we're trying to do when we draft these documents is try to anticipate as many possible situations as possible that might present themselves, areas where there might be a misunderstanding or a disagreement regarding, say, for example, the obligation to collect someone's accounts receivables after they uh, sell the practice or uh, what our post-sale uh, obligations are to each other in terms of the transition of goodwill and what the obligations are of the seller dentist to the buyer dentist. And so we try to define these things as well as we possibly can, but also a, a good document should have provisions for how we might address a dispute that w- we would have. Ideally, I'd have that document say something along the lines that the parties will meet and confer and try to resolve things amongst themselves. If that's not possible, then we want some sort of provision providing for mediation or some sort of informal negotiation before we would proceed to either what would be maybe an arbitration or a litigation situation. Uh, You know, we've been talking about ways to avoid court. We didn't really talk about the obvious, which is why we want to avoid court, which is the stress and expense that's associated uh, with litigation, the uncertainty of the matter, uh, having it hang over your head for an extended period of time. That's the emotional component, but also the financial component is very real. And most all of the contracts that we deal with have some sort of provision in it that says the loser is going to pay the winner's attorney fees, court costs, expert witness fees, and everything else that goes along with it, which doesn't mean that you're just paying your attorney. You could potentially be paying the other party's attorney as well if you find yourself on the losing end of a dispute. And, and I hear a lot from people that are involved in this where I've been involved as an expert witness and there's a, 
oh, this is so wrong and this is terrible. And, and, you know, sometimes you have to take a 35,000 foot view, Sean, of these litigation issues. I mean, you, you, you've done litigation. You, you know what it's like. I've been in depositions uh, where I've been de- deposed as an expert witness. The great thing about being an expert witness is that I give my opinion and you can't argue with my opinion. You can poke holes in it, but you can't argue. It's my opinion. That's why I like doing the work. And, uh, you know, the, the people on the other side, ladies and gentlemen of litigation, the attorneys that do this for a living are really, really smart. And they have read everything and they know how to get you to say something in a deposition that if it goes into a courtroom, they can say, well, Dr. Smith, you know, in your deposition, you said this. Now you're saying that and you don't think about that. So uh, so that that gets really hairy, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly. I mean, when thinking back to the litigation days, you know, when you take a deposition, sometimes you already know what the person's going to say, but mostly you're trying to get them to admit in certain things you know to be true. So by the time they get to court, they can't do anything but agree with you in, in the position that you would try to set out. Uh, and again, that whole process is time away from your practice. It's time away from doing what you like doing and the reason you got into dentistry in the first place. And, and oftentimes it can be largely avoided by just having properly worded and planned documents. You know, and, and one more thing I want to talk about, and I, I have lived my life as does Sean. I know Sean very, very well. Um, we both live our lives, raise our families uh, under the rules of uh, honesty, integrity, transparency, doing the right thing. Um, folks, the way you interact with your – I want you to address this too. The way you interact with your employees, for example, if you are taking cash and not reporting it and your employees know that – if you are not accepting co-pays, which is against the law, your employees know that. If you're billing insurance, maybe not legally for certain procedures, and your employees know that, what do you think is going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, if you get into some sort of a legal dispute and and you get in this dispute and your employees are subpoenaed to testify? What are they going to say about you? Talk about that for a second. Oh, yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, uh, they have a course in dealing of certain observations that, that you've been engaging in. Uh, so you want to be very careful as to how you deal with those things, not only for that reason, but also if you were ever to get, you know, adverse with that employee, get in uh, that employee, maybe was becoming a disciplinary issue in your office and you had to take uh, disciplinary action against that employee or, uh, you know, go down the road of termination that, that could be, uh, you know, just gasoline for the fire that, that, that the employee could, uh, use to cause you difficulty in your life as well. That's right. All right. Let's go to the next one, Sean. Vendors are here to make our lives easier, right? Yeah, one would think so, right? But uh, sometimes uh, some of the contracts that you sign with vendors tend to have a lot of language in them or terms that are not necessarily in your best interest. For example, we all know that we need, um, you know, medical waste disposal, linen service, you know, security alarms. These are just things that, you know, dental offices need. But some of those contracts in particular uh, can be very, very um, favorable uh, or lengthy. Uh, a lot of times the commercial security alarm agreements are three to five years. They have language in them that says, even if you get robbed, we have no liability anyway. We provide a service. Uh, and ultimately, if you want to terminate the agreement, you're going to have to pay almost the entire value of the agreement. So if you're trying to sell the practice at some point and you have a three years left on your security alarm agreement and your buyer doesn't want to take over your crazy expensive security alarm agreement, guess what? You're stuck with it now or you're going to have to pay a termination fee. Uh, I've seen um, medical waste in Sharp's disposal uh, agreements in particular that had provisions that said that the vendor could raise rates at their own discretion. Uh, they were uh, auto renewing. So if you missed your uh, renewal period and you didn't provide notice, you know, 30 to 60 days prior to the expiration of the last term, it automatically renewed for another three years. And uh, they're, you know, legally binding and you end up getting into 
uh, you know, some sort of dispute uh, with them regarding, you know, trying to get out of the deal or, or like I said, when somebody buys a practice, uh, they may not want to get into that bad contract because their attorney took a peek at it before uh, the, the close of the sale. And, and there you are as the seller, you know, paying out on an obligation for which you don't receive a benefit. One other issue that you should watch out for is credit card processing. Uh, some of those machines have long contracts and, and have a lot of little uh, side fees in them apart from just the, the swipe fees. Oh, yeah. I mean, every single contract is drafted by the company and their attorneys. And of course, if their attorneys are drafting it for the credit card company, for the waste disposal company, et cetera, I mean, they are absolutely uh, going to be in the favor of the, um, uh, you know, of, of that company. And you have to have it reviewed no matter how minor it is. All right. So let's go to the next subject, Sean. And again, we're trying to keep you out of court. How did dentists end up in court? You know, what patients, what they don't know can hurt us, right? Uh, informed consents and financial policies. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. The lifeblood of any practice is the patients. It's, it's obviously important that they're happy and that they keep coming back. Uh, that's basic business, but a lot of how you interact with the patients in terms of your documents can be very, very important. Uh, for example, um, really properly worded informed consent that really lays out particularly, you know, the risks associated with the treatment and having that documentation for your file could be very important. If something happened in the future, uh, practices really benefit from having strongly worded patient financial policies. We all know that a lot of dental insurance is essentially no more than a coupon, right? So the point of dental insurance is that, that it, it, it offers a discount against the total procedure. And if you're billing insurance as a courtesy to that patient, I think it needs to be expressed in such a way where it's clear to the patient that you're collecting maybe an estimated copay and that we will bill to the insurance. And if for whatever reason you've exhausted more benefits than we thought, or there's a differential, uh, you owe that money. And, it, and if the patient isn't being uh, confronted with this in a, in a way that's understandable to them, there, there can be disputes with the patients later on about, well, my insurance was supposed to pay that. Well, I don't understand. I don't have to pay that. And then, you know, they're feeling bad about your practice, which leads to maybe a, a lost patient, leads to a negative Yelp review and all sorts of things we'd prefer to avoid. And another thing to consider is if you have a multi, um, ethnic practice where you have people maybe with different native languages, you may even consider having some of your forms translated by a certified translator into the native language of that particular speaker, uh, their, their primary language so that there won't be a basis for dispute later on saying, well, yeah, I received those forms and yes, that's my signature, but English is not my primary language and I did not understand I was waiving those rights or that I agreed to that particular policy. And again, the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, is when you have a, a patient who has a bad experience, even though they sign the document, you explain the document, the document says that they're not, the office is not responsible if your insurance company doesn't pay. It doesn't matter. Because in life, when people like a service, they'll tell, well, they might tell a friend or two. But when they have a negative experience with anybody, they tell Dozens and dozens and dozens of people and they put these reviews up and boy, oh boy, this is, you know, uh, five star Google reviews, folks. You don't want a review that says, I went into Dr. Wiederman's dental office and, uh, oh my God, they just totally misrepresented how the insurance was. I mean, cause they, they, they assume that you're the expert. So again, communication, et cetera. Uh, et cetera on, on that. That's so important. All right. Insurance is for the unlucky, right? We, we don't need any insurance. Um, you know, business interruption, workers comp. I mean, I, I've been told workers comp, you literally cannot open a practice without workers comp. The states, many of the states can shut you down. So talk a little bit about the insurances that you need to have. Right. So a lot of, a lot of dentists will find themselves in lawsuits or in court because of not properly insuring their risk. Obviously, carrying malpractice insurance is just a basic. It's a must uh, because you're personally liable for the work you do. 
But even beyond that, within your practice, having workers' compensation insurance for your employees, most states have very, very severe penalties if an employee is found to be without the benefit of workers' compensation insurance. That can mean that the employee could even sue you for personal injury in some states as an alternative, uh, which would expose you to much larger judgments for which you don't have insurance to cover them. Uh, when you have a ongoing dental practice, you should carry a business interruption insurance. I had a client just last year who the pra- the bill the uh, tenant next door to their practice uh, they had a fire and they burned out their offices and they were sent scrambling to try to find other space to triage those patients and treat them elsewhere until the space could be rebuilt. And, you know, some of these leases are unfortunately drafted very, very friendly to the landlord to where you may not be able to terminate your lease in the event of certain damage or destruction. And so that's where having a a business interruption policy, which will provide for uh, payment to you in the event of the loss of income that you experience becomes so important so you can continue to pay your staff, maybe while you're down and unable to operate, that you can continue to pay your student loans so you can continue to pay the rent obligation that you still have, even if you have no place for the patients to practice. So that, that of course, is crucial as well. One other thing that I've seen people get into accidents, uh, uh, property and casualty insurance is a must uh, for any type of slip and fall, any type of damage. Um, you may really look closely at having a data theft uh insurance coverage that that would cover a situation if your computer systems were hacked, if you had sensitive patient information, social security numbers and and credit card information that that suddenly was uh, stolen, that would provide you coverage for that and, and also for any potential claims that patients might have against you for that. And then one final thing that, that I've seen come to pass is uh, they maybe send an employee out to do some deliveries or drive around, maybe go take a run to you know Costco or Sam's Club to get supplies for the office and they get into an auto accident. And maybe that employee was carrying the state minimum coverage in their, their car. We, we can't expect them to be well insured. Uh, and so then the claim comes back to the employer. And so you may consider having non-owner um, commercial auto policies that would provide for coverage in those instances as well. Because those little areas of risk that are created by failing to insure ourselves are many of the ways that ins- uh, dental practices suffer financially. And between working with a, an attorney who understands these issues and then working with and there are we we've had uh, dental specific we had a dental specific um, insurance agent who covers all of these. I think uh, my my friend Rich Walton works with like fifteen hundred dentists, and and it's just like he knows what to look at. So working with your professional team is important. So in a couple of minutes left, I'm gonna you know employee issues. Uh, they didn't teach HR in dental school. We can't cover this in the time we have left, but I I, I want to just talk about. Um, again, running your practice with integrity, honesty, and transparency. I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, again, I, I probably have mentioned this before. If you haven't noticed in the over 60 episodes, I, I, I do tend to repeat myself, but this is really important. Every single time we ever had an issue with an employee in our CPA practice, what I would do is I would get our office manager and I would get the employee into my office. I would call a dental-specific attorney who understands the labor law. I would say, Sean, okay, um, this employee believes they're entitled to overtime for this and this and this. What is the law? So when Sean would say the law is this, Art, you need to pay the overtime, I wouldn't even think about it. Ladies and gentlemen, do not cut corners. Do not mess with this stuff. It's really, really bad. So Sean, talk just a little bit in general terms about how to deal with employees, documentation. Again, we can't get into all the laws, the federal laws, which are different than the state laws, but we're not into that. But I just want you to maybe give give our listeners some really good food for thought about how to deal with employees and employee issues. Yeah, just generally, because obviously every state has its own set of laws, and some states are very regulatory um, uh, intensive, such as California and other states maybe are a little bit more employer-friendly, but... It is very important to, one, make very good hiring decisions to start with because hiring decisions can be extremely costly, uh, both in the, the 
you know, the fallout that happens afterwards. A lot of times what I see is a disgruntled employee is maybe underperforming. And if the employer has to make some sort of uh, termination a move on that employee, uh, we have the unemployment claim, which is then followed by the workers' compensation injury uh, that, that manifests itself as well, as well as the wage and hour claim that maybe exists. And in some states, such as California, there's so many ways to step in it in terms of wage and hour law, uh, failure to uh, have uh, good time cards, uh, failure to have proper pay stubs, having all the information that the employee needs, failing to pay compensation when it's due, which subjects us to additional penalties. Uh, uh, failure to classify an employee as an exempt or non-exempt employee such to where maybe they have a bunch of back overtime that they were never paid because they didn't properly qualify as an exempt employee, misclassifying them as an independent contractor where the law doesn't support that. And those issues are uniform to most states, uh, but some states are, have much uh, more specific laws on these uh, topics, which can uh, expose you to very, very significant liability um, financially. Uh, the other thing that I would add just in terms of dealing with your employees is to document, document, document. It's so much easier to justify a position that you've taken if you have well-documented files, if you have you know action uh, plans put in place. Um, documenting it, uh, it without that, it becomes uh, challenging and can expose you to, you know, retaliatory type claims or discriminatory type claims when you, maybe you had a very, very legitimate basis for your actions. I, I want to touch on maybe a little sensitive topic and, and that's uh, sexual harassment. That's a big deal in our society. I mean, I, I always get nervous. It's like, and again, many times, and again, this is a statistic. This is not uh, uh, any kind of a strange statement is, um, you know, we have a large number of male dentists in this country who run practices and the large majority of the employees that work for them are female. So, Sean, if a, if a male doctor has to discipline an employee or talk to an employee and it's just the doctor and that employee and they close the door and there's nobody else there, I mean, there's all kinds of danger. So, how, how do you do communications with employees? Um, do you have somebody else in the room? I mean, how, how do you suggest that? Yeah, it's a great point. I, I think it's always beneficial to have an extra set of eyes present. Um, like you, you mentioned earlier, it's not a bad idea to have somebody on a conference call as well as an extra set of eyes and ears as to what's going on in the situation. And again, documenting, documenting, documenting is so important, you know, from a litigation standpoint. Uh, and, and so should you find yourself in one of those situations, at least you have a, a better, uh, means to defend yourself. Uh, one other thing we talked about insurance a little bit earlier, uh, you can get employer practices insurance as well. Uh, it won't necessarily cover intentional actions such as discrimination claims, but it will provide you with a defense and, and the defenses can be very, very expensive. You know, we can, we can insure intentional actions, but we can certainly insure um, other aspects of it or provide you with a defense, which may soften the blow if, should you be confronted with one of these claims. And again, doctors, you have got to be really careful. I know you like your team and you love their team and your team and they love you. But, you know, what you send on the internet, what you post on social media, what you say to your employees, um, what's the term, Sean, can be held against you in a court of law? <laughs> Is that kind of how it works? Well, certainly so. And also, um, the way things are said, even if it was said with a joking tone, uh, when it reads in a deposition transcript, it just has a, com it reads completely different. It reads as serious as possible. And people don't, uh, appreciate nuance and context when they're reading, uh, it into the court record. All right. Let's touch on one more issue and we're coming to the end of our time today. It does go by fast. Um, Estate planning is only for old people. Talk about, Sean, a little bit about, you know, if, if a doctor passes away, if a doctor gets disabled, these types of things, probate avoidance, business succession, just, just, just touch briefly on these. These are really important things. Yeah, this is a uh, really broad topic, of course, but one of the things uh, that, that is universal state to state is that 
um, there is some sort of threshold for what requires a probate proceeding. And a probate proceeding is a core proceeding in which uh, you go through the process of distributing assets uh, to uh, your family or your beneficiaries that you might have named in a will. Some states have higher thresholds before they require a formal proceeding, which can take time and be expensive. And other states have lower thresholds. And you know, California in particular has a very low threshold of $150,000. So more likely than not, your dental practice is worth more than $150,000. More, uh, Most people these days will set up a corporation and hold their dental practice inside their corporation. And they're the sole shareholder. And so as the sole shareholder of that corporation, in the event they pass away, there's no successor shareholder that can take action. And so there needs to be some sort of means for somebody to take action for your practice in the event you become incapacitated or pass away. And without durable powers of attorney that might allow somebody to take action in the event of your incapacity or without some sort of document that would allow you to take action upon your death, uh, you may lose the value of the asset that is your dental practice. Uh, Art can speak to this as well as anybody, but the longer a practice stays on the market after a dentist passes away, the value plummets because the goodwill associated with that doctor has vanished. And likewise, the patient base will soon as well. And so it's crucial that that practice be marketed very quickly. Don't you think, Art? Absolutely. And in fact, we as brokers have, uh, I think we have three groups in our brokerage, um, basically comprised of between five and 10 dentists. We have an agreement and it's basically a practice continuation agreement. If a doctor goes down, disabled or passes away, the other doctors in the group have agreed to spend a day, day and a half in the practice, uh, keep the practice going until a broker or the, the seller uh, can can sell that practice because you've got to keep that goodwill going. And uh, it's just just so important. Sean, you, you're you're a wealth of information. I'm glad your team won the Super Bowl. I'm glad you had a good time. I saw your face on, uh, I saw your face on Instagram, and you were a very very happy camper. But uh, I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Sean is just an absolute. Um, it, it, he's a pleasure to deal with. And the fact of the matter is, is, is it, it's like doctors when you have, if you're a general dentist, you have that endodontist, that periodontist, that orthodontist that you just you just know when you refer your patient to that specialist that they're going to be well taken care of. It's the same thing with Sean. So Sean, one more time, please give out your contact information if, if someone wants to get a hold of you or has a question. Yeah, thanks again for the kind words, Art. Uh, again, if you want to uh, reach out to me, I'm happy to chat with you. Uh, my phone number is 888-212-3866. Uh, or you could uh, go to my website. There's a contact uh, intake on there as well. And again, that is J as in Joseph, S as in Sean. D is in dumb, JSD, lawoffice.com. Uh, and I'm happy to uh, you know communicate with you about any concerns you might have. And if I'm not the right person, maybe I can direct you to somebody who may be of assistance to you as well. That's great. Well, Sean, thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you so much for listening to uh, to my podcast. I, I'm very proud of the work we're doing and the guests we're having as you have just heard uh, people like Sean and the folks we have coming up are just amazing. And uh, my objective in doing this, this has been my passion. I've always loved broadcasting, as you know. Uh, I, I love helping people. I love this as my legacy to den- 35 years in dentistry. So if you want to get a hold of me in Southern California, my phone number, the office number is uh, 714-505-9000, if you want to email me, I'm at artwiederman at gmail.com. Email with me with a comment, a question, uh, anything. You, you, you want to talk about the podcast. You want to just say hi. I'd love to hear from you. We've heard from dentists from all over the country. Um, we, we've got thousands of people that are downloading our podcasts, and it's just so exciting. And I'm honored and humbled for the response that we've gotten. Um, I was at a, I was giving a lecture the other day on the new tax law to a local dental society and I had two doctors come up to art. I've heard your podcast. Thank you for doing this. We need to hear this information. We don't learn this in dental school. You don't learn what Sean was just telling you in dental school. So it's really great. Um, again, if you are looking for a fantastic, uh, research-based clinical magazine, Decisions in Dentistry is as good as it gets. Their editorial board is a who's who of dentistry in the United States. Their articles are phenomenal. Uh, go to www.decisionsindentistry.com. 
go to our podcast page, um, you know, subscribe to the podcast, go to the about tab and you can subscribe. And by the way, Decisions um, in Dentistry is a free publication for dentists. You don't have to pay for the publication. And uh, again, you know, if you're not subscribing to that, that publication, you really should be. It's got some great content and some great continuing education courses and other resources that you can take care of. And if you are, if you want to hear our prior podcast, we're, we're now over 60 uh, of them in the bank, if you will. Uh, go to our website, www.hmwccpa.com. Uh, go to the resources tab, go to the podcast tab and every single podcast, including the one that, uh, Sean has just recorded with me, uh, will be up there. Sean's, uh, contact information will be up there too. And I would again encourage you to call him. Uh, and if you are looking for a dental specific CPA, I am the member in Southern California. We have a wonderful firm in San Diego, um, uh, Drew Hendricks group. Uh, but I'm in, uh, you know, my, my group covers, uh, Orange County, LA County, Riverside, San Bernardino, uh, north to Fresno generally as far as our, our dental CPA group, because we've got two fantastic firms in Northern California. Please, 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 please go to the Academy of Dental CPAs website. Um, and actually from Decisions and Dentistry's website, you can link to that also. www.adcpa.org. Click on the map. You'll be able to find the member in your area and they will take very good care of you or they have to answer to me, folks. They all have to answer to me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, these are 24 of the most fantastic dental specific CPA firms in the country. And a lot of the things that I talk about with my guests and myself on the podcast, they do every single day. Well, that's it for this episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. Thank you so much for listening. Please write a review, tell your friends about the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.